Hello everybody, my name is Benjamin Kitchings and you're listening to the History Voyager. I love being a podcaster and I love talking to people. And this is a person that I love talking to. Her name is Eddie and she lives in England. She has a fantastic podcast called Sinobabble. I highly recommend listening to it. Highly, highly, highly. It's really good. Anyway, I interviewed her, I guess, a couple of years ago, but I've been listening to her podcast ever since. But I wanted to have her on because in the United States of America, we have, uh, we've had a bit of a, a scare, I would say, psychologically. There's something called that we call the Chinese spy balloon. And I guess we can get into, if we wanted to, uh, which one of those balloons, because there was a series of them, which one of them was from China and which one might have been from a hobbyist. But in any case, there was one that got loose and was finally shot down off the coast of South Carolina. And our media has been really showing itself it's called this a UFO, uh, which I guess technically it technically might be because, you know, technically it's an unidentified flying object, okay? But that has a lot of cultural loading with it today, which, you know, that's not what this is. But in any case, so... I wanted to have her on to talk about it. And we talked about some other stuff, too. But anyway, um, thank you so much for listening to my show. There's a zillion things for you to do on the Internet. And for those of you keeping score, this is the second episode I'm putting out on the new provider. But anyway, uh, thanks, and I'll talk to you guys later. All right, bye-bye. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the History Voyager. My name is Benjamin Kitchings. As always, there are a zillion podcasts out there. Thank you very, very, very much for listening to mine. I'm here with Edie of Sinobabble. How are you doing? Hi, I'm good. How are you doing, Ben? Oh, fine. Fine, fine. I wanted to talk to you about... So there was some... I think in the U.S. we still call them UFOs, which I think is technically still true, but it's like unidentified flying objects. But I wanted to talk about the spy balloons, the Chinese spy balloons and all that and get your, sort of get your take on it. Sure, no problem. So do you buy the whole idea that the, the U.S. government didn't know about this stuff? Until it did, or, you mean, or what? Um, I think they were caught off guard. From what I can, from what I can sense, from what's been released, I feel like they were kind of caught off guard by this specific balloon. Um, mm. But I don't think anyone should be under the illusion that um, the U.S. intelligence services are not aware that um, China is actively spying on them, and that you know, vice versa, the US is actively spying on China and monitoring China's movements, in, uh, both in China mm. at proper and mm. just generally internationally. Yeah. 
I mean, I've gotten a lot more into. Okay, let me. Can I ask? Can I ask you to? Um, I want you to contrast something for me, okay? So I've gotten a lot more into Google Ads than we last talked, mm -hmm. okay? Mm -hmm. And I can see in the back of my Google Ads, I can see the audience for these ads. And I can see like, well, this percentage or, or this old and that percentage is that old. And this is there. A lot of them are older feet. A lot of my, the people that encounter my ads are older females are older women mm. all over the planet. And, but the more information that I have, it's kind of weird because like the less, like I'm, I'm more concerned about Google spying on me than I am China. <laughs> right yeah do you see what i'm saying like no definitely and so, you know um i think yeah. it, you know people have revealed people like edward snowden have revealed that yes the u.s is indeed spying on its own citizens and that is probably something more concerning because of course the, your own government has better access to your data than any foreign government does right so should the average Westerner be concerned that China is spying on them? That's the first question. I mean, it depends on what you mean by spying and also okay. kind of what you mean by concerned. Um, so if you're an average person sort of going about your daily life, you you don't and you don't really you know care about china you don't know anything about china you you're not planning on traveling there or interacting with china at all it doesn't matter on a personal level what access china okay. has to you and to your information um however if you're someone who is concerned about things like national security or um you know international relations you might care more that china might be spying on you however there's probably not that much you can do to mitigate it um besides telling your friends children family members to not download tiktok or something like that but realistically the the methods that governments use to spy on their own and foreign citizens are very sophisticated they're sort of beyond our own understanding yeah. unless you're using a vpn on all of your devices um opting out of all of all cookies and making sure that any device you use or any service that you use is not yeah. coming directly from china there's not really any way for you to properly measure how china is spying on you and how to yeah. sort of prevent that okay so even like okay so i don't have any i don't think i have any chinese devices in the house but so even with that china is still spying on me huh well you might not think that you have chinese devices in your house uh but it's actually okay. very likely that you do most of our electronics um if they're not made wholesale in china are made in part in china so things like iphones um basically the majority of apple products most of our tvs um, radios, okay. even, I mean, like 90% of irons or something like that in the world are made in China. So China being wow. the world's factory for the past 30 or so years means that you can't really avoid, like almost wow. every product really you have, especially if it's made out of um, something that requires a precious metal that's being refined and turned into, say, a chip yeah. or something that's made out of plastic. Um, it yeah. probably comes from china at some stage that doesn't mean that china's obviously putting microphones or cameras into every device or tracking devices into every sort of you know 
plushy toy that you give your child or anything like that. But we mm. are deeply interconnected. All of our economies are deeply interconnected with China's. And so that also kind of adds a layer of complexity to the issue of wanting to pull away from China or just generally being suspicious to the point of antagonistic with them. Yeah. I think I think I forgot to introduce you. Would you mind introducing yourself to as far as why I chose you to talk to? Oh, um, sure. Um, um, so, yes, yeah, so as you said at the beginning, uh, my name is Eddie, um, and I have a PhD in Chinese and history, which I got from City University of Hong Kong. Um, I've been studying China now um, over 10 years, and I maintain my own uh, podcast, which was about Chinese history. It's now about contemporary China and sort of the issues that we're talking about today. And it has a companion newsletter. The Both of them are called Sino Babble. Yeah. So, S-I-N-O. Which I subscribe to. Uh, <laughs> I, yeah. I, I subscribe to it. And I listen Thank to your you. podcast. I like it. Um, so I just wanted to put that out there just right off that you're just not somebody off the road. <laughs> you know. Um, well, yeah, not, not so yeah. off the road, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> so. Let me let me let me ask you a question. Um, how concerned are you? Like, what concerns you more? The the Google spying on people, uh, the kind of the corporate spying, or kind of like the, I guess you're British, so British people, British government spying on you, or Chinese government spying? On you? Like, what would concern you, Eddie, more? Um, from a personal perspective, I would say. Uh, the sort of corporate um, level, so things like Google, um, Facebook, these sort, mm. these large tech companies that have the ability to use and manipulate your data to sell it on to third parties without your knowledge, um, and okay. a lot of their CEOs, you know, we see people like Bill Gates have immense um, influence over, um, you know, international governments, um, just okay. general policy directions. Um, you know, money equals power. So I think. On a personal level, definitely companies having access to my information, using it to manipulate not just me, but also my own government is kind of, it's more of a um, imminent daily sort of threat than, say, China. I think when it comes to China, we shouldn't yeah. be so worried about how much they, information they have about us, because I don't think China understands the average Western person as well as people might think, you know, I think we construct China as this very sophisticated, um, you know, uh, enemy that's like doing everything it can to like analyze us and like kind of like, you know, if an alien were hovering outside of our uh, solar system, sort of watching everything that we did on a monitor. Um, But I think the extent to which China's government and even the the average Chinese person understands the average Western person is about as well as the opposite. So about as well as the average American or British person would understand the average Chinese person. Yeah. Well, you lived in China for a while. So why don't you talk about, uh, talk about that? Like, did you see the Chinese surveillance state on a, maybe not a daily basis, or did you see it on a daily basis? The Chinese surveillance Um, state. When I lived in on mainland China, you just, you see it, but it's um, 
I don't know, people treat it as something kind of extraneous to their life. So it's just something that's kind of there. Um, you can get on with your own life. You don't really have to think about it or talk about it. The, the majority of Chinese people that I spoke to were very, um, you know, direct and open in their questions about either, um, you know, my government or their government. You know, like I would get questions like, why does Britain have a queen? And like, why do Americans hate us? And, you know, like, why is your country like this sort of thing? So they were, you know, Chinese people are, you know, like the average person anywhere else. They're curious. Um, they they understand that a lot of what they hear on the news isn't necessarily exactly the truth that's being told not everyone has this understanding but most people are like everyone else in the world just trying to go about their daily lives when I spoke to university students so other students who were doing their PhD they were a bit more um, sophisticated Um, some of them wanted to leave China because they knew about they had a better understanding about the restrictions placed for example on information a lot of them wanted to study sensitive topics or periods in Chinese history and had to use VPNs, which is not something that the average Chinese person has access to. So they were a lot more savvy, say, about how their freedoms were being restricted by the government and how that might impede their daily lives. I had one friend who was, um, he was homosexual. So he knew that in China, it's not illegal to be homosexual, but it's not totally accepted in society so he might want to move somewhere where he can just you know move about more openly and act more freely Mm. and not really have to kind of act differently to how he actually feels so Mm. it's kind of this it's similar to I guess you would say like people who are a bit more switched on in western countries Mm. have a lot more critiques um, and have a lot more understanding about how yeah. their government is, you know, maybe moving against them or limit, limiting them or, you know, that sort of thing. Um, well, let me, but in Hong Kong, yeah. when I was in... Oh, sorry. Well, no, tell me about your Hong Kong, and then I have a a, a question. Which Yeah, sure. So, tell me about Hong Kong first, and then I have a question. Yeah, so when I, I was in Hong Kong during the protests in 2019, that was my last year of my PhD. So I saw um, the protests unfold in real time in person. Some some of them were happening outside of my building. Um, so we actually got tear gassed one night in our building, which was a shame. Um, but, you know, that was the Chinese state, the CCP in action bringing people who they saw as dissidents, who they saw as rebels, to heal. Um, And that was a lot more... um, That was a much better example, because in mainland China, obviously, the surveillance state is integrated into society. You know, you see signs Mm. around saying, Mm. you know, don't spit on the street and don't, you know, don't cross the road when there's not a green sign. And you're kind of like, well, what will happen if I do that? And the answer is there's a camera that can take your biodata and kind of find you... Um, or you know if you're part of a social credit system in your area then you might have points deducted for whatever reason but in Hong Kong it it was you know the mainland was separate until it wasn't and then when it came it came with a very heavy hand Mm. Um, so yeah it depends I suppose on where you live it within China's um, sphere of influence if you live in Xinjiang or Tibet it's very different to if you live say in Shanghai or Beijing Uh uh-huh so, like, in mainland China, it's much more integrated, the surveillance. Uh, yeah. it, it was when you were there. It's not probably yeah. now, but it was when you were there. Yeah. 
Um, in what way was it more integrated? Mm, well, it's it's kind of like people were aware that um, okay. you weren't allowed to do sort of things and so things like um, like antisocial behavior was a lot less common because um, it's a lot more highly punishable. Wow. Um, and I rem- I had one experience where um, I wanted to go to the archives um, of the one of one of the Shanghai um, historical archives to read some documents um, from the CCP in the 1950s. And I was talking to a professor about what I wanted to read. And at one point he started whispering. And to be to be clear, what I was researching was um, it was about art and artists. Yeah. So I I was literally looking oh, for yeah. like a um, the records of a meeting between artists about how they were going to like approach art and how they were going to integrate some sort of Russian influences into their new art work in the future. Um, and he was yeah. whispering about um, you know the things that I was talking about as if it could be very sensitive and you know someone might be listening and you know you can't like people were kind of aware that any time someone might be listening or what they're saying might not be okay and you know in China they have um social media groups um things like uh WeChat and within you know these groups they can be really small you know just like families and friends texting each other or they can be huge like thousands of people like all the parents of a school, for example, or like all the people who are part of like your local swimming club or something like that. And each of these groups will have, these big groups will tend to have a sort of unofficial or official monitor who's monitoring all the activity in the group for sensitive content, um, things that need to be censored, things that might need to be flagged to officials, things that might actually be enforceable by the police. Um, so in people's daily interactions with each other, um, they are aware of the surveillance state. I know I, I know people who will have friends come over and if they want to start talking about something sensitive, they'll turn off the Wi-Fi. Yeah. Just in case. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um. So the question, okay, a VPN, for those of you who don't know, uh, is a virtual private network. Um, I don't know what they use it for in Britain, in England. I mean, in the U.S., uh, people mainly use it to watch uh out of network sport or out of market sports teams things mm. or in market sports teams in your market. Like until very recently, I can't watch my local baseball team on my internet in my city, right? So oh. people use VPNs to get around that. Um, okay, right. Yeah, it's kind of like how in the UK yeah. we, we might use a VPN to get like Netflix shows that are only shown in the US or Canada or something. Yeah, yeah. but so in China, so it's kind of, I don't want to use the word hilarious, but it's kind of just, here you are, you're using this thing that people use to talk about legitimately repressive situations and whatever. And I'm just, I just want to watch my baseball team, man. I don't care. (laughs) You know, it's like, come on. Yeah. And um, like, but people in China also use it for those sorts of things. Um, I I had a friend who used to um, use it because he wanted to watch BBC four documentaries, you know, things like David Attenborough um, and things like that. So, but here's my question. So 
like when I when when somebody goes to a to a thing, like you you just there's a company that everybody knows, like Tunnel Bear or uh, what whatever you know whatever, right? And you just you you buy it, and it's not even that expensive, right? But like I can go there on the regular internet, not like the deep web or whatever. But so how do you get a VPN in China? Um, that's a good question. Um, so VPN downloads, VPN uses, um, they are heavily monitored and very restricted by the government. It's getting increasingly difficult for the average Chinese person to actually get a VPN of any kind. Um, essentially, okay. they are kind of like, you would have to download it from a site, not the app store, right? So you wouldn't get one from like, you know, Apple App Store or like the um, right, official, right. Um, you know, Chinese yeah. um, app stores. You would probably have to get it either from a friend sending it to you um, or from a website if you know one. So basically you have to, you have to be pretty savvy with the internet to get, you know, like it's not something that just an average everyday Chinese person right. might have. Maybe they'd have one if they knew that there was a show or like, you know, if you're really into like American basketball, you might have like figured out a way to find a VPN so you can watch it. But the average Chinese person probably doesn't have one. Um, it's yeah. illegal to have one as well. Um, but more sophisticated. I, when I say sophisticated, I just mean like, you know, university educated. I don't necessarily, you know, want right. to denigrate the Chinese person, but people who use the internet more, um, maybe for research purposes, or they've traveled abroad, they have foreign friends, they might have gone to university abroad, um, especially because like, for example, WhatsApp, which is the main mode of communication in, um, yeah. say, Britain, for example, I don't know how often it's used in the US. But, you know, it that's like your daily messaging platform. And if I'm messaging, say, um, if I want to buy something from um, AliExpress, which is a Chinese version of like Amazon, basically, the supplier might yeah. message me on WhatsApp, but WhatsApp is illegal in China. So how did they get WhatsApp? Well, they used a VPN. And there are businesses in China that are using an illegal service to maintain their international trade. And the Chinese government will overlook that because, you know, they want international trade. That's good for the economy. It's good for GDP. Um, so there are workarounds, and some of these workarounds are... Com the government will turn a blind eye, essentially, to it. So as long as they know mm. that you're not using it for illicit purposes, necessarily, you know, <laughs> if you're watching TV, you want to contact, you know, your foreign clients, you've got friends who live abroad and you just want to chat with them and they've only got WhatsApp or whatever, or you want to watch some YouTube videos, you know, you're not going to be, you know, arrested for that. If you're a Uyghur who's living in Xinjiang and you've got a VPN on your um, on your phone and you've used it to download a, a version of the Quran that isn't allowed in China, that's punishable by law. So they have uh, the, there's like an authorized, that's another question. Like there's, I guess so books in China, just broadly speaking, books in China are approved by the government? Um, not directly by the government. Um, so to, a better way of describing it would be to say that every single media corporation is a government entity or regulated by the government. So every publishing house will have either 
will either be a government mm. publishing house or it will have a government representative or a, a Chinese Communist Party representative board or body within that company to regulate um, and to monitor what they do. So like all the TV stations, all the radio stations, etc., um, even if they're privately yeah. owned, are monitored and regulated by the government, I think is a good way to understand it. Yeah. I mean... Whereas in this country, I mean, we have we have some regulation, but it's it's mainly to do with corporate stuff. Like, like mm-hmm. I was amazed to find out that so we had there was a there was a chemical spill in Ohio uh, mm-hmm. recently. Yeah, um, yeah, I was I was floored to discover floored. I tell you that the local news in Ohio basically is not covering it. Right. Right. (laughs) Okay. That's interesting. No, it's totally fascinating. Um, But the thing I thought was just the scariest part was the way I found out about it. I don't live in Ohio, by the way. Uh, The way I found out about it, some of the stuff was there were TikTok, right? Because there's a TikTok, there's a video I saw on TikTok of, of like somebody throwing pebbles into the river, into the creek, mm-hmm. and you mm-hmm. watch the chemicals bubble up and and do crazy things, and you're like, okay, wow. But so the news in Ohio isn't doing that, and but so that's not the government; that's probably private business, yeah, <laughs> or something, yeah. Which is just is just as bad at the end of the day. Um, well, it's interesting so, that they can exert that influence over your media. Well, I mean, so here's the, I mean, like the media in the, in this country is owned by a few corporations. At the end of the day, it's owned by the same corporations, right? Mm. So, and oftentimes, like, we'll see stories, like, I don't watch TV news anymore, okay? Because you'll you'll get you'll get a sense after watching the news of like what what is really going on because this is not what's happening like whatever yeah. is happening is not that yeah that kind of thing um so but yeah um so what's your take on TikTok Eddie while we're while we're on the topic <laughs> um. Well, generally, I don't like TikTok, um, but that's because I think social media in general is not good uh, for people, uh, especially not for kids, especially ones that specifically target kids. I think those are very insidious. Like, it's one thing for adults to consent and willingly, you know, give up information or time or attention or whatever it is. Um, you know, if you're mm. uh, if you're someone who's been at work all day and you just want to come home and scroll through videos with your evening, that's up to you. I think it's another thing yeah. to specifically target children and get them to use their attention and their time and their bodies, um, yeah, um, and their minds, and devote them to these apps. I think that's particularly insidious. Um, on the question of whether or not it's Chinese spyware, almost definitely. Um, I don't think. Like China, China's data collection in its own country is, you know, large. 
Um, it's on. Well, I suppose it is regulated because it's regulated by the government, but it's, you know, it's very direct. It's very sort of in on Chinese social media, you have to do verification. So you have to have um, a phone number, for example, to sign to their version of Twitter. And every phone number is connected to an ID number. So your ID is directly linked um, to your Twitter account, the, the Twitter equivalent in China, which is Weibo. Um Oh. Whereas in Western countries, you know, we like to be a, play a bit more freely and loose with that. You can be anonymous on Twitter. You can be anonymous um, on TikTok and have opinions and no one can know that it's you and you can troll or you can just like scroll and not mm-hmm. post anything and just, you know, have a good time. Um, but these yeah. algorithms, the fact that they work so well and um, people want them to work well, right? When you use a service, you want to be recommended things that you like. If you watch one video about I don't know, horses, you want more videos about horses and it tell, it knows that you're interested right. in that. And you, you know, you feed into that and you're, you're helping to develop that system the whole time. Um, so it is collecting your data. There's no doubt about that. What that data is being used for. I think that's, that's something that won't become apparent for like another decade or so. I think there can definitely, someone did do a study about how uh, the CCP uh, promotes its own propaganda and sort of positive news about China on TikTok. Um, but it was a very small study and it didn't, you know, it didn't show anything definitively yet. Like China is using TikTok as a means to promote Chinese propaganda. But I don't think that it will be unrealistic if in 10 years time or 20 years time, you get a lot of adults who are in their 20s and 30s who have generally positive views on China. Because in the US, I think the recent polls show that something like seven it's between 17 and 80 percent of americans have a negative view of china um mm. and i think china despite seeing the u.s definitely as an enemy um and something to be vanquished um it's much easier for them to defeat the u.s through um economic and social means than it is through uh, military means right no one no one wants world war three really not at least not a direct war um and no so who's not no one who's not vladimir putin <laughs> exactly like you know psychopathic yeah. megalomaniacs aside no one really wants world war three um we got rid of most of the psychopathic megalomaniacs in the 20th century but we missed a few of them um right so the ones who are remaining definitely do but i think um, the CCP as a machine is a bit savvier and I don't think it's beyond the realm of possibility that they're using platforms like TikTok to help spread sort of positive yeah. views of China and we might see more of that and there may be more studies about that in the future well all I know is and I'm, I'm just a guy using TikTok to relax after supper mostly um, mm. all I know is that while I will see you know videos about the chemical spill in Ohio, or I'll see videos about, I used to see a lot of videos about the war in Ukraine. Um, all the stuff I've ever seen on TikTok about the, the spy balloon situation uh, mm-hmm. literally is either making fun of it as like a UFO or it, it's literally like people like saying it's a real UFO. Like with little green men in the whole nine yards, you know, you know, yeah, like with little green men and stuff. And I'm like, no, <laughs> like, no, it's not because if it were, it'd be all over the news. Like it'd be, you, you wouldn't be able to, 
you know, like, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, if yeah, there were no. really UFOs here with little green men, you would see videos of it. Like you're seeing videos of like the chemical spill. You'd see videos yeah. of that. And I think also so, the situation would be very yeah. different. Um, I, I read a lot of sci-fi. And so mm. <laughs> my view of how um, alien life might come and interact with Earth um, does it, you know, just doing a quick flyby and popping up and being like, hey, you know, like what's going on, guys, is not not what I would think that aliens would do first. I could be wrong about that. Um, but, you know, I've read a lot of yeah. sci-fi. I've read Chinese sci-fi actually is very good and very um, thinks a lot about this yeah. sort of contact with extraterrestrial life. So, um, right. yeah, actually, there's a very good book. Uh, it's a trilogy of books called The Three-Body Problem. Um, by Oh, really? <laughs> As soon as you said Chinese sci-fi, I thought, has she read The Three-Body Problem? <laughs> I have, um, oh, by Liu oh. Cixin. Um, they are excellent. They're pro- they are some of the best books I've ever read, actually. <laughs> okay, okay. So, um, go ahead. No, I was just going to say that I highly recommend anyone who like reads for fun, um, and especially sci-fi. And even if you don't, because I, I didn't like sci-fi before, um okay and i i read them because as someone who's interested in china i wanted to see how chinese authors might tackle this sort of concept and it's generally extremely highly rated both in china and internationally Um, and to have a book that's you know purely chinese that's not about how awful the ccp is translated into english is actually quite a big thing like that doesn't happen every day um and yeah these books are just generally excellent so, like, what's it about? I mean, just briefly, what what's it about? The three-body problem. Oh, so without giving anything away that's too big plot-wise, um, I mean, people already know it's about aliens, but essentially Earth comes into contact with extraterrestrial life, um, another intelligent species that lives um, uh-huh. in a different solar system, that is um oh is it the same they might live in the same solar system no different solar system same galaxy i believe it is um but they live in a more hostile environment and basically they um it's about how some people on earth want them to come to earth and sort of like live out here and how other people are a bit more suspicious of their motives um and it's about how and it's really interesting because it's explored through individuals and how individual actors have play basically like momentous you know civilization changing roles in negotiating with or dealing with um the existential threat posed by these aliens um who are making their way down to earth and it's just it's a very good exploration of human naivety um how humans can be very self-centered or myopic um you know when you're even when you've got an existential threat happening we're still concerned with sort of like day-to-day human problems and that's kind of what makes us human as well um how our emotions make us unique um and yeah just how you know this idea of a rosy like oh that you know as you say the little green men coming down to earth um is actually a very naive way to conceptualize how other intelligent species in the universe might operate. 
Huh. Okay. So Yeah, so that's without giving away the plot points. <laughs> right. But you in general you liked it and all Yeah, I that. thought I thought they were excellent. Um, you know, people critique the the yeah. fact that the characters can be a bit flat and a bit logical and mechanical, but I think the characters are definitely vehicles yeah. for the story as opposed to the story being about the characters. Yeah. Let me ask you a question. Um what do you see the uh, the relationship with China and kind of the West going forward? Ooh, what do you mean by the West? Uh, well, uh, I guess like China and say the United States, Canada, Britain, all this one block or separately. First of all, is it all one block or is it separate? Mm, yeah, I think that's definitely something that people need to think about. Yeah, possibly more, especially leaders in these countries, how much they want their their own international relations to be tied up with each other's, and how much being an ally is a, a benefit or um, a drawback in certain situations. Okay. Um, also, there's different levels of relations as well. It's the problem with um, the China. Let's let's take the big two, right? So like China US relations. Um because okay. they kind of they temper everything else, right? If China if the US is in a good mood with China, that kind of gives everyone else permission to be a bit more open and you know loose with their relationship with China. Whereas when the US and China are openly bickering, kind of you know, all the kids in the room are kind of like, Oh god, mommy and daddy are fighting again. Um, so, you know, like whose side do we take and, you know, how do we deal with yeah. this? And then there's all these different problems, yeah. like China makes so much stuff or China funds so much stuff. China has um, these missions set up here. China provides, you know, 30% of the world's tomatoes or, you know, things like that. So the economic yeah. ties obviously temper the um, political ties. I think at the moment, the US is most concentrated on the political ties. Um, maybe it should be, maybe it shouldn't yeah. be. Uh, it's One should always be wary of people who do not have your best interests at heart. China does not have the US's best interests at heart at all. China, um, you know, openly ridicules and mocks the US on a daily basis, um, both in its press, even in its... Um, it's school curricula. I remember I read um, a politics yeah. paper, you know, sort of like a, trying to think, a for, uh, for an exam, like a 14-year-old would take um, if they were studying politics at school. Um, and it was talking yeah. about the differences between the political system in the US and the one in China. And, you know, it said about the US. Um, the US political system is fundamentally broken and useless because they have a two-party system um, the two parties can never agree on anything. This is detrimental to the development of the American people. Their government is constantly stalling. The country is stagnating. And because they're always bickering, they can't solve any real problems. They're not growing. Um, the whole country is decaying. And eventually that political system will fail. And this is why Chinese authoritarianism, they don't use that word, but that's basically what they mean, is superior because a one-party state means that decisions can be taken unilaterally and progress can be made, you know, with the people unified under one banner. Um, 
So the US oh. in China is not only used as like, you know, the enemy by through which we can rile patriotism. Um, it's also a foil to show that China is the superior system because China has, you know, 5% GDP growth, whereas America has, you know, school shootings. These are the, this is the kind of, you know, dialectic that they use. Well, I mean, we have phenomenal GDP growth too, but we also have school shootings. <laughs> so, yeah. you know. Yep. Um, <laughs> yeah, this is just, I this mean, is how China frames it. For their own propagandistic yeah. purposes, right? Right, but yeah, that's how propaganda. That's how propaganda works. Okay, I, I have been dying to ask you this question for I don't know two years now. I, I don't even remember. Um, but I know I know I encountered this problem after I or the situation after we talked. Mm-hmm. All right. Late one evening, so I don't know if you're a regular listener or not, um, but I love to talk to anon. I love to do my anonymous teacher podcast where I talk to teachers anonymously mm-hmm. about their problems. Mm-hmm. I had a person, a young man, come on my. Uh, he wanted to come on my show. He was a teacher. Or he represented himself to be a teacher, and so we set up a video chat just so we could. You know, hi, how you doing? What do you want to talk? You know, blah, blah, blah. So we weren't even doing a podcast yet. Um, He spoke with perfect American English. Like it mm-hmm. was too perfect. Like it was way too perfect. And he kept asking me, like, what's your angle? Like, what, what agency do you represent? What? No, I'm just a podcaster. I just want to get your opinion kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And... But I kept zeroing in on his accent because it was so perfect. Like it was the prototypical American accent, right? Right. And I was like, where are you from? And he goes, Moscow. And I'm like, oh, Moscow, Idaho? No, (laughs) Moscow, Russia. And I'm like, well, okay, but I thought you were in China. So... He was in China learning American English mm-hmm. to help spread propaganda to Americans. Okay. I've been dying to ask you. Does, does that sound anything like normal to you? Does anything like what the Chinese do to you or, um, or, or what? Yes. I mean, that doesn't like that's not like the most far fetched thing that I have heard or, you know, will hear about China doing abroad. Like, there are so many like innocuous day to day examples as well as like large scale government level operations um, conducted by China. Um, either you, you know directed by the, the the party or just like you know on the willingness of like certain corporations or individuals or whatever yeah. it is um can you give me some examples yeah that sounds totally plausible sorry can you give me some examples uh sure um so if, if we're talking like um government level you've got the example of australia um so i think it's oh i'm gonna get the year wrong 
it's a few years ago now, but um, one of the local Australian governments in, I think it's Canberra, um, basically did a huge investigation and found that Chinese, like Chinese businessmen, or there were Chinese agents posing as businessmen who were making contact with um, like members of parliament, essentially, to um, set up deals and set up favourable business conditions for Chinese companies in Australia um, and trying to get them, basically trying to directly influence Australian parliament in order to increase trade with China, increase business contacts with China and to in- increase like things like immigration, make it easier for Chinese people to immigrate into China, uh, into Australia. Um, okay. And the Canberra government found out about this um, basically shut down all relations with China, were like, ba- put a ban on Chinese companies operating, um, you cannot come here. And then in retaliation, China slapped on the US, um, sorry, slapped on Australia um, a bunch of trade blockades. So, for example, they put up huge taxes um, on wine, like 200% taxes on wine. China is Australia's number one trade partner for wine. They also um, banned the imports of things like coal and lumber. Um, And at this time, China was Australia's largest trading partner by GDP. Um, It's like 50% of all of their foreign trade or something like that. So this had a huge impact um, in terms of, you know, causing waves. In terms of actual GDP, I think it only affected, I read the other day, like 1% of Australia's GDP because they were able to sort of redirect their trade to other places. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. But then this then sparked things like, you know, China um, getting getting more zeroed in on you've got the AUKUS still now so Australia UK US um, um, agreement to supply Australia with nuclear weapons Um, so that's kind of like a large scale um, way in which China has basically walked into someone's country and been like hey (laughs) Um, you know been been quite direct about it there are other things like the Belt and Road um, operations mm-hmm. uh, that are going on in different countries that range from everything wow. from like um debt yeah. financing to large-scale infrastructure problems to installing spyware for governments to building airports for governments um and then mm-hmm. you know during the hong kong protests for example you had um hong kong students abroad this happened in the university of sydney australia again um, mm. Hong Kong students, you know, holding protests in solidarity with people back home. Um, and maybe some mainland students would join them as well and agree that what the mainland was doing in Hong Kong wasn't okay. And you would have mainland students come and sort of like try and break everything up with violence. They would tear down posters. Mm. They would film um, their fellow students and like get their names and addresses and report them back to local police back home. Um, and get their families mm. back home threatened um, or like put mm. under surveillance or they were told they had their um, visa to study abroad revoked and things like that mm. um, so that's just stuff that's happening like at a low le- like other students basically spying on other students um, and you know on an in- interpersonal level Chinese students not really knowing who to trust with what and who's you know they're not directly working for the government per se but they might be very pro-CCP or have connections to the CCP and have an interest in sort of 
showing their patriotism by reporting students who might step out of line so there's like so many different levels to how you know and a lot of this is a result of propaganda some of it is directly by the chinese state and things like that so Mm. again it's not wrong to be vigilant or to be aware of these things but it's a lot more complex than you know china's installing spyware and like sending balloons overseas to spy on people right yeah and I mean, plus, like, there's the whole, I mean, one of my little, and this sounds kind of jokey, but why would they, like, why would you go to the trouble of putting a balloon in the air like that if you were trying to, like, what would the, why would you do that? Yeah. Like, exactly. <laughs> I think that was China's you... point as well. They were kind of, they kind of made fun of it, like, we're, you know, we're quite sophisticated now. Like, we have developed, like, really good spyware. Why would we bother being so obvious about it? And I kind of agree with them. Um, you know, I think the US yeah. did kind of, um, you know, show themselves up a little bit with how they reacted to this stuff, the media and the government and things like that. They, they I think they definitely overreacted and it, it doesn't, it doesn't show them in a good light. But for China, that was actually a very helpful reaction because it shows them exactly you know, like, the US is on red alert when it comes to anything to do with China. So that's actually quite helpful um, and not something that China would have necessarily got for if Blinken did visit China in the end and, you know, yeah. everything was very diplomatic and they were having very restrained conversations right. through translators and, you know, very it's all very photogenic and, you know, by the book. I think well, this I mean, was a much better testing of the waters. Yeah. I mean, but there's a part of me that says, well, well, how bad is it really? Because I can go down to my local electronics store and get a, get a Chinese phone. You know, Mm -hmm. I can, uh, you know, I can go down to my local electronics store and get a Chinese tele. I mean, how it's like, that's the part I don't understand. Yeah. I mean, and that's, that's the doubt about a balloon. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, and that's like, it's it's the problem of the interconnectivity, right? Because ironically, Mm -hmm. though they are very different systems, China and the US kind of have the same kind of ideal when it comes to the the economy, which is like growth at all costs, right? Line must go up, GDP must go up, you know, you know, and like you see this in the US, especially with, you know, private firms being safeguarded even when they do things like lay off five percent of their workers or eleven thousand people in one go also that the line continues to go up right and people continue to make profits and things seem to be good on paper even when people are actually struggling or losing their livelihoods or whatever it is Mm. so i think Mm. when it comes if china is instrumental in that in any way which they most definitely are because you see in the um, 80s and 90s, um, the 90s especially, and then into the noughties, a lot of American factory jobs being transferred over to China because the labour and the cost of goods is much cheaper, even though they have to be shipped back. Um, so you have like American people paying for American goods that have been made abroad and paying for them to be sent abroad, manufactured, and then sent back to the US, um, increasing the price for the consumer, mm. but not the manufacturer. Um, and then you have like just um, 
American companies like Google trying to find a way to create like a Chinese version of Google that will be more palatable to the CCP just so that they can get that market. Because Google is banned in China, but okay, what if we give you a version of Google that senses everything you don't want to see? And we're willing to put our you know so-called principles of things like freedom of speech and you know like openness and access for all to one side so that we can get Chinese money essentially and you know the you can say well Google isn't the same thing as the US government but when you look at on paper who's funding these things and you know who who spends the most on donations to campaigns or who spends the most on lobbying money and things like that yeah and again, the importance of economic growth to America in general and the mm. you know, willingness of American politicians. And I'm not, I'm just using America as an example, by the no, way. This I is get, something I get that it. And you... major Western and Eastern things like Japanese um, gov- and Korean governments do as well. You yeah. do have to turn a blind eye to the CCP if you want clothes, because yes, all that cotton is being picked by um, oppressed workers in Xinjiang who have been imprisoned against their will and sent out to work, even though um, they'd rather not. Yeah. Um, but you know, line must go up. Well, I think also, like you were saying earlier, like Google is, and I say this a lot on my show. I mean, Google is not part of the U.S. government, but it holds all our data. Mm-hmm. You know. Exactly. I mean, <laughs> you know. I mean, so. Well, thank you. Um, and again, so you think the balloon thing was like a test case to see how rattled America was or is? I think it ended up being that. I think there is. Uh, there is a possibility that it was an accident that it just it was a weather balloon that just blew over and it was like whoops sorry about that and they shot it down like how dare you um but i also think it doesn't matter um (laughs) (laughs) it doesn't matter if it was deliberate or not it doesn't matter if china sent on purpose it doesn't matter if it was an accident it just doesn't matter uh because it's happened now and we've all seen you know how you know we've seen the consequences of that and you can multiply that by a thousand and imagine you know, how that would play out if there was a large scale in you right. know, incursion by China or if China, for example, decided to step into Taiwan or anything like that. Like this was a good, it ended up being a good test case um, and a good litmus test of where yeah. China-US relations stand at the moment. Well, I mean, the thing I learned uh, about my own country is like I had to go to India to read about the Chinese spy balloon. Because in my country, everybody kept calling it a UFO. Like, <laughs> at least right up until we talked, okay, right? In the days before we, but the days before I saw your tweet, I was like, oh, Eddie, cool. Let me talk to her about this, right? Um, so, um, you know, you had CNN, unironic- like, literally unironically saying this could be a UFO, like a real UFO. Like mm. it could be. Mm. And you're like, no. <laughs> right? No. Because I've seen enough of the... I'm like you. I've seen enough sci-fi now to... This is not how this goes. <laughs> you know? Mm. You know? Like, no. Yeah. 
And yeah, I think so. Just jumping back to um, what the question you asked earlier about, like sort of where's the West and Chinese relationships are going. Um, and yeah. I did focus on the US, but I think sort of jumping back to that, it is important to think of like Europe and the UK and Australia and even Canada, as much as they often wear their international policies policies to the US as separate. Yeah. And it, most importantly, that China will use different tactics on each of these places separately, because even though they even though they don't necessarily understand the individual sort of soci- socio-cultural um, goings-on of the average person in each of these countries, they have taken great pains to understand what's important to those countries. You know, some countries, the economics is more important, and some of these countries, you know, like you see with the Belt and Road, they're deliberately targeting countries that have poor infrastructure, that have weak governments, um, mm-hmm. that need... Um, airports and bridges and hydroelectric power stations and things like that in the UK they you know they see that we kind of want to be decoupled from Europe and how okay Europe's our biggest trading partner how do we get trading partners that aren't Europe so that we can make Brexit worthwhile it's like China's like well we're here we can make deals with you um so they're going to try and woo different countries in different ways they're going to be antagonistic to different countries in different ways um, so yeah, it is important yeah. to see the West as separated because that's exactly what China's going to do. They're going to try and separate them and divide and conquer in that way. Okay. Um, so it's not a question of coexisting in your mind. It's a question of divide and conquer. Oh yeah. yeah. China has no intention of coexisting in the U S China is praying each day for the U S downfall um it will laugh uh. <laughs> when the us collapses uh the ccp will reign for a thousand years um and they will sort of you know the their main goal at the moment is sufficiency self-sufficiency or at least interconnectivity with like developing economies to the extent where they can support their you know feed their people give them the luxuries that they need bring the GDP up to a certain level where they can stand toe-to-toe with the US and then one by one pick off their allies and either bring them over to their side or, you know, neutralize them in any way they see fit. I don't... Do you think that's effective, though? Because I don't think it's... Um, Well, if if you're looking at it from China's perspective, uh, they recently Uh... released a report that talked about what they called the US's long arm jurisdiction, which basically means that the US is practicing its own laws in different countries. Um, And so from China's perspective, that's exactly what the US is doing. The US can basically walk into any country in the world, tell them that you're not behaving properly, Iraq or Iran or Afghanistan, um, or, you know, Mm. any corrupt African government, um, you know, something like a Libya or something yeah. like that, yeah. um, very openly kill their incumbent leader, cause political chaos, send in American troops, all in the name of peace and prosperity for the local people, and basically just do whatever they want um, in yeah. any country in the world. And no one can say anything against them because they sit on the UN Security Council permanently. Um, they're in the OECD. They're in, you know, all of these bodies, all of these international governing bodies they are 
top okay. dog. And so what China's goal is, from my perspective, from what I've seen, from what they've said, is to replace the US as this arbiter of international justice, because they can see that that's okay, that's how you get on top. That's how you get to a place of prosperity. That's how you get security. That's how you become untouchable. And that's what China wants. China wants to become okay. untouchable. They don't want people messing with them, with their Taiwans, with their Hong Kongs, with their Xinjiangs, with their Tibets, um, with their trade systems. Yeah. They want to be able to move in the same way that the US does. And that means first neutralizing the US, then neutralizing their allies, then being able to practice the same long arm jurisdiction that the US does. And that's what they want. But, hmm. Yes, then I, they've said, they, they say I mean, this openly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, and my response to that is it's nice to want things. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I, I don't, I, I don't think it's going to work. I mean, like with the balloon, okay, like with the balloon, right? I think the the overblowing aspect of the balloon got a lot of play. I, I really do. Mm-hmm. I think the but I also think a lot of people kind of thought, okay, this is not a UFO. Right? <laughs> right. I mean it is because that's what we call it. Yeah. But it's not like little It's not an, it's not right? an alien object. It's, not... it's just unidentified. <laughs> you know. Like, or even like, it, it made me see TikTok differently because I didn't see any. Like, I saw people either making fun of the balloon or people saying it was aliens. Like, mm-hmm. I never saw anybody say Chinese spy satellite. So that's when I thought, okay, yeah, maybe there is something to this TikTok propaganda China thing. Maybe, you know. Mm. Sure. But I don't know. <laughs> well, do you have anything to tell my audience before we uh, wrap it up here? Um, Just if you're someone who's curious about the, how China sees the world, you know, the world from China's perspective, um, all you have to do is go to a website called China Daily. Um, that's one of the um, CCP's major news outlets it's you can get it in english um and if you don't want to read anything you can just go to the cartoon section and that's like a fairly good indicator of you know how mm. china views its relations with different countries um how it sees its own whilst doing a lot a lot of um cartoons about the us um so yeah don't just take my word for it you know like this stuff the things that i'm saying about china and how china thinks and how china's acting these are things that they say openly themselves um and so when you read something about china um in western media take it with a grain of salt go and see what china's saying about it um not not so that you can you know become an unbiased observer but so that you can like it's always important to have the two perspectives because the goals that the US may say that China wants, you know, China wants to start a war with us and things like that. That's not necessarily the case. I think it's a lot more nuanced and complicated than that. And it's, it's, I think it's always good to try and see um, what the offending party themselves is saying about their own actions. All right. Well, Eddie of Sinobabble, um, thank you so much. I enjoy your podcast a lot. 
And I'm, Thank you. I'm eternally grateful that we were on Twitter at the same time. Uh, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> have a love. Have a lovely evening because it's evening over there. Yes. Uh, thank bye. you, and have a lovely rest Hold of your on, day. Just, just a second, please. I'm on unhook the recording. <laughs>